It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow wherever you are. Tap the banner to go to monday.com. Hey guys, it's Allie. Welcome back to Infertile the podcast. This is episode 226 called Bailey. Okay, guys, I am so smitten with my next guest. She is just the sweetest. Her name is Bailey Hawkins, and she is going to tell us all about today her family building journey. So she's a wife and a mom after IVF, and today she's going to get into all of it. She has been through a ton like everybody on this show, but she's going to specifically talk about her endo, having super painful periods starting at age 15. She's going to talk about why she was called irrational by her doctor when she decided to change clinics after that. She's going to talk about Lupron, endosurgery, a frozen transfer she did, getting pregnant, having her son, and the anxiety that you have you know, after infertility when you're pregnant and a new mom and a mom in general. And then she's going to talk about what's going on next for her. She is planning to have a hysterectomy, so you can hear all of that and why. And I just want to thank her very much. You guys can follow her on Instagram at Bailey Ann Hawkins. And without further ado, this is Bailey's infertility story. Okay. Hi, Bailey. Thank you so much for doing this today. I'm so happy to talk to you. Hey, of course. I'm so excited to share this and just normalize everything that we go through with IVF and infertility and all the things. Um, And so I'm really excited to be here and to share everything that I've walked through. Good. Well, thank you so much. Let's start back in the day when you were a young woman or a little girl. Did you always want to have kids and be a mom? Yes. So it was my life goal to be a stay-at-home mom, a great wife, all those awesome things. Um, And of course, it never really crossed my mind that that would be an obstacle. And I don't think that that is something that most little girls even fathom having issues with until you're faced with it. Um, And so, yes, it was a lifelong dream to have kids. Um, I'm one of three. I'm actually a twin. And then I have an older sister who's only about 15 months older. And my mom actually also had infertility and went through some treatment to have all of us as well. So once I got older, I kind of thought, okay, there, there is a chance that I may need some help because she did. Um, And then my older sister has no issues and just had her fifth baby. So then I was like, well, maybe I won't. (laughs) And then sure enough, I was the one I was the sister that had the infertility. <laughs> okay. So tell me, that's so interesting. Did your, was yes. your mom pretty open about what she had been through with you guys? Um, she was once I was old enough to understand. Okay. So when I was about 15, it's when my super painful period started. Um, and so that's when she sort of shared that she also dealt with super severe endo. And so I sort of started to learn what that was and what the symptoms were to look for. And if you want to call it fortunate, I was super fortunate to have very textbook symptoms. And so I was able to 
speak with the doctor and kind of come up with a game plan at a very young age prior to like stepping into the infertility world. Okay. So do you remember like what your mom said and how she explained it to you guys? She was just like, um, she had told us that she needed some help getting pregnant, that she had um, never thought that it would work and even went through foster care. And she actually had two kids in their home at one, at one point. Um, oh, wow. And then I forget all the details, but for some reason they went back into foster care and went to a different family. And then they jumped into infertility treatments and IUIs is what she did. So she did the shots with IUI. There was no IVF. And I thought, surely I will never get to that point because she did it. Mm-hmm. Um, and she had stage four, extremely severe endo, had surgery, did, did suppression drugs, all the fun stuff. And long story short, I actually wound up at the same clinic and doctor, but treated her oh when, my gosh. when I was conceived, which is so weird, but also really cool. <laughs> That's so cool. Yeah. Yeah. And I'll get into that here, here soon, because I had an absolutely horrific experience. And I really want to share that and just kind of what I was told and the difference um, from them to my current clinic, which is huge difference. Okay. All right. So a couple more questions about just what you knew, like growing up. So obviously your mom had been open about it. You said you might know that you might have some issues. So did you feel better prepared when it came to your family building journey that like you know, there might be some bumps in the road because I feel like so many of us just go into it blindly. Like, well, you know, right. you have sex without protection and you get pregnant. That's what we learned, right. all, you know, growing up. So did you feel better going into it? So I did a little bit, but still I felt like a failure that I was there in the first place. Like, I just couldn't believe that like my story had come to that. Um, and so even though I did feel maybe more ready than others because I knew that she had experienced it and I knew that it was okay to need that extra help. I still, as a woman felt like I can't believe because I was about 25 at the time. So I was like, I'm 25 years old. Like, why am I sitting in this clinic with clockwork cycles and ovulation husband with an awesome sperm count? Like, why am I sitting here? Mm -hmm. (laughs) And so even though I did feel that way, it was still very scary and overwhelming that I was being faced with the same circumstance. Right. So how, when did you decide that you needed to go to the clinic? So had you guys been trying and nothing was happening or what was going on? Yeah. So we had gotten married very young at 22 years old. I was on birth control with no break in it because my cycles are so painful that that was like my only way out. And if anyone is listening and also has this same awful thing going on with endo, there is truly no, there's no cure for it yet. Um, And so I, had the surgery. It didn't really help that much. I continued to miscarry. And so we got married at 22. I stayed on the pill until I was about 24. And at that time I stopped the pill. And of course, in the hopes that the pill had kind of helped the inflammation and everything, I thought for sure in the next year I'll conceive and something will happen. So about 18 months went by and I never got a single positive test. And my cycles were awesome and perfect and ovulated on day 14. So, I mean, it was just like a perfect cycle every month. And I was just like, something is, is either being missed or something is off. And so at that point I went to my OB who was so great. And I've seen her since I was 19 and first started the pill. And she was so great and sent me straight to a fertility clinic here in Knoxville And so that at that point is when I scheduled my surgery because I met all the criteria for 
most likely having endometriosis. And so I scheduled my surgery at that time. Um, and I had it a few months later. It was right before my 25th birthday, I believe. So we didn't wait too long to jump into surgery and getting help and all of that. And so he went in, found very minor stage two ovaries looked good and tubes looked good. So I thought for sure, like this surgery is going to be the answer. I'm not going to need much help after this. Um, everything looked great. So fast forward about three or four months after surgery, still no positive tests at all. And if anyone is listening has had the surgery, your results are best about six months to a year in. That's your best chance of conceiving after surgery, because that's when your inflammation is going to be down the lowest. But what sucks is the endo always comes back or grows back in, you know, a certain period of time. And so I chose to go ahead and hop into the IUI game with, I think I was on Tamara first, and then I switched to Clomid, always had a great response. I think I had 10 eggs on Clomid. Um, And so like everything was always, you know, great on paper. And sure enough, we pressed forward. I did six IUIs, which I, knowing everything I know now, I should have stopped at three. But again, I had really poor care at the time. And I was not um, told, you know, all the stats and everything up front. And I'm really big on being straightforward. Like if if there's a good chance of this working, tell me. If it's not, mm-hmm. just go ahead and tell me to tear the Band-Aid off. I would rather know because it's expensive and we didn't have any insurance coverage for treatment at the time. Mm-hmm. And everything was out of pocket. And so I believe it was my third, fourth, and sixth IUI I conceived, but I still miscarried early every single time. So I would get that first blood draw and things would look good. And then things would rapidly go down after that. Um, and so it was just a roller coaster of emotions, physically, emotionally, financially, just all those things that we have to deal with with fertility treatment. It's just so unfair. And that could be like a whole other chat for a different day. <laughs> but exactly. Um, um, I'd yeah. love to talk more about the care that you, you know, had mentioned yeah. that was not good. Let's unpack that a little bit. What was going on? Yeah. So once I had miscarried several times, so I first felt very safe because surgery went great. I had a great experience of care on that, you know, end of things. Once the treatment started and I kept having those early losses, there was no bedside manner. There was no compassion. Um, I felt like I was leading my entire treatment. I was the one researching up all night and sending stuff to my nurses and doctors. And I just felt like I was the head of my own care. And here you are and paying thousands of dollars for someone to help you. And you feel like it's all in your hands, which it's so stressful to be in the clinic in the first place. Yeah. But then to feel like you have to carry your, your own care and plan of action, so to speak, is just a whole other layer of stress. Exactly. Cause Um, like, exactly. Like you said, nobody wants to be there. Nobody wants to be there. But then to feel like you're a number or you're not getting the treatment or the personalization that you deserve, that everyone deserves, Yes, you know, it just feels so bad. Yeah. And so then I had done some research on the receptiva, which we will dive into here in a little bit. Um, And that was a game changer for my story. And I brought that up and I brought up that I'm still having pain. I think I may need Lupron suppression um, to stop these losses. And I was called irrational. 
straight up. By who? The doctor. No. Yes. I'm sitting oh my there. God. Yes. I'm sitting there in tears because it was a follow-up to, I, I guess it was my third loss there. And he wanted to keep doing IUIs, like just the same thing. Mm-hmm. And I was like, why would you like, no, at this rate, let's do IVF, check egg quality. Cause there's really no other way, you know, to do that. Right. Um, see if I can make some embryos because there's another way to see that either. And yeah. So I said, absolutely not. I want to skip the IUIs. I've done six of them. I've had three losses. So let's jump in to our next round. So we did what is called mini IVF. And that is the same thing as IVF, but just less drugs. So I actually just did Clomid. And I think I might've done like three days of very low dose shots. And I wound up with, I think 12 eggs, which is a really good response for many round. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I felt good about that. And of course, those days that you wait for the phone calls and the updates with IVF, I think is the worst because totally. you just want to have something at the end to even try. That's And that's what I think a lot of people don't know or realize is they see, oh, she's doing IVF. So like, it's for sure going to work, but it's actually only, I believe about a 30% success rate, like overall. And so that was extremely stressful. And not to mention, I think we spent about 12 or 13 grand on the mini round. So that was not cheap either after doing six rounds of IUI with all the meds. Oh my God, so, Bailey. I know. Tell me about how is this affecting your relationship, your marriage and stuff? I mean, you know, the three losses, the financial piece of it, like how were you guys doing? So I would say, so at that time I was almost 26. So we're so young. It's not like we have... 50 grand in pocket chains, just sitting around. (laughs) So that was extremely stressful. I mean, on our marriage and on everyday life, because it, it held us back from so many other life goals, because we actually, at the time we're about to build a home and we had to completely stop that and stay put in our smaller home just to pay for all the treatments that I had to have. And so then I felt this layer of guilt because I was like, it's all my fault that we are in this, like we have to pay for this and we never plan to, you know, spend this amount of money at such a young age on just trying to have a baby that comes so easy for everybody else. Mm-hmm. But that was really hard. Um, it for sure made sex not fun for a while because especially with the IUIs, everything is timed so specifically. And so, and you're on all these meds, you feel so gross and bloated. Mm-hmm. It's like, I'm really sorry, but the last thing that I want to, want is for anyone to see me or touch me totally (laughs) so that was really not fun I definitely think that that added a layer of stress as well um and I tell a lot of people that I think that that actually improves with IVF because you don't really have to worry about trying on your own if that makes sense so I feel like personally that that it takes a layer of stress off of trying to conceive on your own um interesting yeah right less stressful in a way. So, yeah. I can, I can see what you're saying. Okay. Interesting yeah. way to put it. Yeah. Yeah. Stressful in so many other ways though. Right. <laughs> yes. Yes. I would say the financial part of IVF is probably, and then just the hope that it'll work after you've spent all the money, um, is probably the worst part of all of it. Totally. So were you guys kind of on the same page though, that you wanted to keep doing all the things and trying all the things, or did, were you ever at a point where you were 
not thinking the same things. Cause, and the reason I ask is because, you know, a lot of relationships, including my own, my husband and I were not seeing eye to eye at certain points and it was really, really hard. Right. So I would say for the most part, we stayed on the same page and my husband was really great to kind of leave it up to me because I was one physically going through everything. And he said a lot of times, like, if you want to stop, like, we still can have a great life and, you know, move forward from this and fill that void in a different way. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think if this would not have worked, we would have probably moved forward with some form of adoption and in in some way, I'm not sure what that would have looked like. And we still might, I'm not sure what the future holds. Mm -hmm. Um, But I believe that I would have pursued still being a mom. I just don't know what that would have looked like, but I Mm -hmm. will, I will say that this last round for my son, I was at my wits end. So like, if that wouldn't have worked, if his embryos wouldn't have worked, I was going to be done. Cause mm-hmm. it had been about four and a half years of infertility overall. Once I was pregnant with him and I had just been on so many meds nonstop. You feel so just out of sorts, not like yourself, all the money spent. I had just had it. So if this round would have failed, I probably would have quit and moved on. Okay. You'd mentioned the receptiva test before. When did that come into play for you? Yeah. So when I was doing some research again, because my doctor had awful care, the first clinic that I went to, I did a lot of research and I read about it and I was like, that's kind of weird because I meet all the criteria and it's never been mentioned to me. So at this point we did one fresh transfer after IVF at the first clinic here in Knoxville. Um, I miscarried again, extremely early. Mm, Yeah. So so at this point, yes, thank you. So at this point I've had four losses and I'm, I really was more angry than sad because I was like, something is being missed. And I am so pissed off that I don't have answers. And I have spent upwards of 15 grand at the, at this point. So at that Once that happened, I was like, I'm done here. Like, I just don't think it's the right fit. I feel nothing but stress from my care here, which I obviously was trying to get rid of any extra stress that I had on top of infertility. So we sought out a clinic in Chattanooga. Um, It's TRM. And my doctor is Jessica Scotchy. And she is so incredible. They are just an awesome clinic. Um, And about every single person I have sent there, is either expecting or has figured out what's going on with their fertility. I mean, they're just awesome. Like, wow, night and day difference. And so I went to see her and right off the bat, she brings up the receptiva test and biopsy. Had you heard of it before? Yeah. So I had done some research, but it was never shared with me. Uh Uh, And so when she brought it up, I felt like, oh my gosh, I'm finally on the same page as my doctor. And like, I just feel so much more at peace here. It just clicked instantly. And that's just such a good feeling to feel heard and understood. And Mm -hmm. just like you're in the, in the right hands. Um, and so fast forward and we did the biopsy and sure enough, I was right all along. And so what that test does, it's a, it's so cool. It tests a, um, gene called BCL six. So every woman actually has some form of that in their bodies, but most women with endo have a much higher level, which indicates a ton of inflammation mm-hmm. again, linked to endo, linked to the endo. And so I had already had surgery and everything. And so that 
was shocking to have such a high score. So I believe four is the highest and mine came back at 3.6. Okay. So with mine that high, I only had about a 10% chance of ever having a live birth without being treated properly. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I probably would have never had success had I just not done that test and the treatment and all that. So we did the biopsy and they give you a couple options, one being surgery. And I'd already had that at that point. Um, And so we chose the Lupron route, which is really not fun. I'm actually on that same protocol now to prep again, hopefully for the last time, because it's awful. (laughs) And um, it worked great. I was on three months of Lupron. It was a one-time shot. So it's like a time-release shot that stays in your body for three months, which is really fun. And I was also on some pills with that. And then my first frozen transfer with an untested embryo was my son and it worked obviously. So that was so awesome. And Mm -hmm. now I'm here again with the same clinic, same doctor, same protocol. um, And we hope to transfer into summer. Okay. So tell me about that transfer with the frozen embryo, how was your two week wait? First of all, because that's so, so tough for everybody. And I know so many people who are listening right now are in the midst of that. How did you get through it? Do you have any tips or tricks or like, what did you do personally? I am extremely rooted in my faith. I'm a Christian. And so that's really important for me to share. Um, Mm -hmm. And so just constant prayer, staying outside, staying busy, just doing things that keep my mind just at peace, if that's even a thing during the two week wait. Um, so I really just dug into my faith, my, um, friends for encouragement, my family. Um, but I think it's really easy to kind of sink into yourself during that time because you're so afraid of what the result's going to be. And so I definitely felt like I did isolate some and just kind of watch Netflix because I was so anxious to see what the test was going to say. And then, so once I got a positive test, like I think the nerves were actually worse because I had had so many losses prior. And I, and I knew that like, if I saw two lines that that means very little. And so I don't know if I felt worse before or after the positive test, because it was just like this constant roller coaster of emotions. Um, and so, yeah, the two week wait was very scary because I knew that I had done just about everything I could at that point. And if this failed, what was there after that? So it was definitely nerve wracking. I had put all my eggs in the basket, so to speak. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And um, it was very scary. Yeah. And what did you think when you got that phone call? Did you test early or did you wait? Of course. course. Yeah, you did. I'm I'm psycho and I test very early because I like to see the line get darker. It just makes me feel sort of in control, even though we're not, it just makes me feel like I have my hand in, in some of it, if that makes sense. <laughs> yeah, no, that so, does make sense. Yeah. So I got my first positive four days past transfer. So very early. And then I had lab work done. I believe I was nine days past because of the day that it fell. They did my labs early and waiting for that phone call to get the number is just excruciating. It is, oh, it's awful. And I'm dreading it again. So I got the first number and it was the highest it's ever been. So that was really great. I think it was like 141 nine days post. And then I did another one two days later and it had shot up to about 452. I think so things looked really, really good for the first time. And so it's like with each 
milestone, you're able to breathe. And then the week after that, you freak out again. And then you can breathe again because you have an ultrasound or lab work. And it's just this constant roller coaster of emotions and anxiety and, you know, just all the things. And I felt like I was so robbed from getting to fully enjoy, and I always will be, from fully enjoying being pregnant because I worry so much about losing each baby that I have the honor of carrying. Totally. So that's a big thing I love to talk about is just the anxiety of, you know, pregnancy after loss or, you know, just infertility in general. Tell me a little bit more about your experience with that. What were the thoughts that you were having and how did you kind of try to navigate that time? You know, did you ever feel like you could fully relax? Cause I certainly did not. No, I think the only time I felt like I could fully enjoy it was during an ultrasound. I paid for so many private scans just because seeing him just made me feel safe. And it was also hard because after all my losses, I had a, she, what's it called? It's called something when your placenta is like, it was in a place where I couldn't feel him until he was much larger. And I was like, I was like, seriously, after everything. And now I am pregnant and I can hardly feel him. And I'm so anxious. Right. So I chose to get a Doppler for home when I was Mm -hmm. like 11, 12 weeks. And I know a lot of people hate that and it makes their anxiety worse. For me, it helped me a lot because when I first switched from my fertility clinic to normal OB care, that was such a big transition because your care is never the same as it is at your clinic because it's just, you're an actual person. And when you're at the OB, you're, it's like, herding cattle in a way. Mm-hmm. Right. And and so I was like, okay, they want me to wait three weeks or more. Like I cannot wait that long for an ultrasound. So I chose to get a home Doppler and anytime I just needed that extra reassurance, if I couldn't feel him, I would use that. And that worked mm-hmm. very well for me. And I'll probably do the same just because it makes me feel safe. So I think everybody should just do what works for them and makes yeah. them feel at peace. Yeah. I've had plenty of people, you know, in fertility rally, the membership group that I co-founded, we talk, we always talk about how we want to open a fertility rally clinic because we're like, yes. you can come in every day for an ultrasound or a scan. I um, would love you know, to. All, yes. Yeah. Yes. It would be amazing. Right. Cause it's yes. so nerve wracking. Yes. I mean, that doesn't even begin to describe it. That's such an understatement, but it's just, you know, the stakes are so high. You've been through so right. much loss you know, you just want everything to be okay. And there's no way of really controlling any of it, you know? So any bit of knowledge or reassurance that you get makes such a difference. Yes. And on top of all that too, once we switched to our new clinic in Chattanooga, we also had to pay for IVF again. So we took our embryos with us, but we still had to pay for like a program. And so we qualified for the, they, had this awesome thing where if you meet the criteria, um, if your transfers fail with all your embryos, you get hundred percent of your money back. And I had never heard of that before. And I was like, okay, this gives me a safety net where at least I feel like we can use this for adoption or like some other route or whatever, if this fails. And so I definitely felt very safe there because of that, but that was $35,000. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> so we've already spent about 12 or 13. And I was like, okay, if we're all in, like we're all in. So totally. we went all in 
And I still am so happy with that choice that I made because even though we just now finished paying all of that off, which is great, but it was, it took a while. Um, I am so glad that we spent that because just the peace of mind is worth everything. Um, especially after you've been through several losses and just infertility in the first place, just to have that safety net. Um, so if anybody is looking for an awesome clinic that is so compassionate and has tons of options and they treat all kinds of couples, they are awesome. And I'm always an open book if anybody wants to reach out and get their information. Love that. So tell me about your little guy, Shepard, right? Yes. Yes. Tell me about when he came into the world and you got to hold him in your arms. He's so cute. Oh, thank you. So I bet everybody that is listening, if you have had um, successful treatment, you will know how I felt. So even when they first, like I was rolled back into the the OR because I had a um, C-section and I was like, is this even really like me? Like, is this my turn? Like, I can't believe like I'm the patient and I'm not here to see someone else's baby. Like I'm here for my own. It was very surreal. And I think that I was just like in shock. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, And they pulled him out. He was almost 10 pounds and 23 and a half inches long. So he was a big boy. Um, Oh my God. I I know. And when I heard him scream, I was just like, I still felt numb because I was just like, how is this really like mine? He's mine. And I get to take him home. And then I'm laying there, of course, on all the drugs from the surgery and I'm shaking on the table. (laughs) Mm -hmm. I'm just like in just so much shock. So everything was great. Had an awesome experience. He was healthy. He did stay in the NICU for most of his first day of life for his breathing. Um, And that was a little bit scary just because I was like, oh, no, like is something going to happen? And I think when you go through infertility, your mind automatically goes to worst case scenario, because I think that's just how we make ourselves feel safe and in control that you just kind of prep for worst case, because then if anything else happens, it's better than what you thought could have happened. Mm -hmm. So I was just like, great. He's in the NICU, of course. And then I had a lot of pain for my C-section. I finally got that good under control. And they brought him into my room about one o'clock in the morning. And again, it was just so surreal. And I sat there to breastfeed him. And that was just so crazy. Like, I just couldn't believe that my body was doing it, that it was just like my time. Um, and I would say even now he just turned 14 months, which is so crazy. Um, it goes by so fast as you know, and even now I catch myself like mother's day this year, um, at church, they gave out, roses to all the moms. And like, I couldn't believe that I got to grab one. And in a sense, I just hope that that never goes away because even after infertility, being a mom, especially a first time mom has been a huge change, huge life change. It's been really hard. Um, he was super colicky as a newborn. And so that was really hard too. And I dealt with some pretty severe anxiety and depression after he was born because of that. And, um, so even though those really hard moments have happened and still happen and will happen, I just hope that I never forget how hard it was to get him here because it really does make you appreciate things that other people don't. And for that, it makes me so grateful for what I've walked through. Totally. I don't think you will ever forget it. Right. I mean, how how do you forget that? So now here you are going through it again. When did you guys decide you wanted to start the process again and go for the next one? Yeah. So there are a few reasons why we decided to hop in sooner rather than later. So I'm 29 now, and I know that that's still young, but I 
I would love to just kind of close this chapter of IVF because it took over most of my twenties. I've either been on birth control for endo pain. I've been on Lupron for endo again. I've been on stimulating hormones to grow my eggs. I've had surgeries, procedures, all these things. And like, then I was pregnant and then postpartum. And so I don't feel like I've had my body to myself since I was probably 25 years old. That's a good <laughs> and, way to put it. Yep. Yeah. And that is extremely hard physically, emotionally, spiritually, just all the things. It's really, really hard. And so my pain from endo came back very rapidly after I had shepherd. I was really um, hopeful that breastfeeding would help because that can sort of lower the hormones and kind of keep things dormant, but that was not the case for me. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I went right back on the pill because it was the only thing that helps me to have no cycle at all. And so when I thought about that, I was like, well, gosh, I don't want to be on a pills or meds for the next five years waiting to have another one. So I decided, okay, let's go ahead, jump back in and get this done because I am planning to have a hysterectomy and leaving my ovaries after I'm done with this. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Um, because as long as I don't have a cycle, I don't have pain. A lot of women with endo have pain every day and I'm very fortunate to not, it's only on my cycle, but it is Mm. so severe that I can't function. And so I would love to hopefully finish our family building and get myself feeling my best physically and just kind of move forward from IVF. I would love to just live my life and kind of put that behind us. So that's kind of why we chose to go ahead and go through it. And Lupron itself is really, really hard. Like I'm sitting here sweating with the fan on and yeah. I'm 20 years old and fully in menopause. It's just awful. Um, and there are so many side effects like mood swings. You're hot all the time, but then you're sometimes freezing cold, um, nausea, weight gain, hair loss. I mean, it's just everything that you can think of as a side effect. Mm-hmm. And so I really just wanted to kind of get all of this over with honestly, totally understandable. (laughs) (laughs) And, you know, obviously that's not a hard decision to come to. Right. Um, or was it easy because you realized that, like you just said, it will eliminate all the pain that you've been going through pretty much your whole life since you started your period. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So I've had pain since I was about 15. So most of almost 15 years, which is so crazy. And I would say I'm kind of in the middle. It's scary because once I don't, have uterus. I mean, that's final. That's a very final surgery to have. And that's scary. But then on the flip side of that, I want to feel my best and be the best for the healthy kids that I do have and my family. And so I'm trying to think of it that way is I just really want to feel my best. Um, and I know that that's going to get me there or at least closer. So as, as scary and as permanent as it is, I'm really looking forward to just being done with this chapter of my life and enjoying my thirties, not on hormones and hopefully feeling better. (laughs) Totally. So what Bailey, after everything you've been through, what, what do you know now that you wish you knew at the very beginning or anything that you can share with people who are listening, who might be new to this world and just feeling really overwhelmed or sad or depressed or any of the things? Oh gosh. So many things. I feel like I could write an entire book. I would actually really like to write a book about about it. Um, so a few things I would say, I know how it feels when you're invited to every single baby shower and you feel like, you know, all the stuff on the registry, but it's still not your turn. Um, and I know what it feels like to want so badly to be happy for other people 
but you just can't. I, I, I know what that feels like. And I know what it feels like to see a post of an announcement and just sit in the bathroom floor sobbing uncontrollably. I know what it feels like to just think it's never going to work for you and you just can't face one more day of another shot, a pill, a surgery, a procedure, all of it. Um, And I would also say if you are someone, as you know from your own experience, if you are someone who's walking through recurrent loss, as we both have, um, know that every miscarriage is your body trying to tell you something. It's telling a story. And if a doctor tries to say it's not or say it's not important, um, find another doctor. Because had I changed sooner, um, I probably would have saved thousands of dollars and I would have gotten to the end result sooner. Um, And while I'm thankful for the whole journey because it got me my son here, um, I do wish that I had listened to other people that had walked through IVF prior and also research on the SART website, the success rates of your clinic, because I didn't know about that. And had I known, it would have made my choice much different. And I think it's really, really important to know all the things about your lab, your doctor, their success rates, your embryologist, all those things. There's really not too much that you can know. And just know that you're the one that is paying your doctor and that you are in control of your care and you're your largest advocate. Um, And if you feel like something is off, then something is probably off and don't let anybody make you feel bad for asking questions. So true. I'm so glad you said that. And I also want to say, you know, just in my opinion, for every loss, it's valid. You know, I feel like sometimes when people have an early miscarriage or a chemical pregnancy or even the loss, a failed transfer, um, to me, those are all losses. So I just want to validate that for everybody that they're all painful. You know, we always say this is not the pain Olympics. Your pain doesn't have to be more or more extreme than someone else's. If you're in pain, you're in pain. So I just wanted to throw that in there as well. Yes. If it is even a transfer or just a positive test for five days, that is, if that fails for you, I think it, as you said, any time of, of, six weeks or a stillborn, which I truly cannot fathom, all of it is horrible and all of it is valid. And that is the death of a hope that you had in a life that you dreamed of. Mm-hmm. And not everyone's going to understand that, but you do. And I do, and you do, I know as well. And so I totally fully agree with everything you just said. Thank you guys so much for listening. And thanks again to Bailey. Check her out on IG at Bailey and Hawkins. And also check out Fertility Rally on IG and Infertile Life Stories on IG. Definitely follow both of those if you're not already. As you guys know, Fertility Rally is always open to new members. We are open now. So you can go to our website, fertilityrally.com. You can become an annual member, a monthly member. Check it out. We've got so many support groups. We have IRL events. We have a huge event coming up this summer in Chicago in August. So if you join now, you can be a part of that if you want to. It's going to be a really, really great bonding and empowerment weekend. We cannot wait. But so many other things going on too. It's basically the thing I wish I had, the place I wish I had, the family I wish I had when I was going through all the bullshit. So let me know if you guys have any questions. And finally, if you do have two seconds to rate and review the podcast, it would greatly go appreciated by me. 
It really helps me get noticed and just reach new earballs. So thank you guys so much for all of that. Thank you for listening. Thanks again to Bailey and I'll talk to you guys next time.